Genre. Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Max and Goofy from a Goofy movie. And joining me for the discussion is producer Andrew. Welcome, Andrew. Hello. As I just said, we're talking about a Goofy movie, a 1995 film written by Jim Mangan, Chris Matheson, and Brian Pimentel that was directed by Kevin Lima. Goofy is voiced by Bill Farmer, and Max is voiced by Jason Marsden. And this film tells the story of Max and Goofy bonding during a road trip. We realized we had a Father's Day slot coming up, and (laughs) we thought, what is the best father-son movie out there? It's obviously a Goofy movie. Um, so that's how we, we settled on talking about a goofy movie for this episode. Andrew, do you remember when you came to a goofy movie? I am pretty sure it was VHS copy in our house with the, 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 the big tell you, white Disney box. Yeah. The, clam, the clamshell VHS mm-hmm. box. And I couldn't tell you what was the first actual viewing of it might have been a birthday party but i'm not sure yeah well okay what year were you born again uh 1990 okay and this film came out in 95 so yeah it just was around your childhood it could have been my fifth (laughs) birthday party right you know like that that could have been the first time watching it um i don't really remember um i i do kind of remember that like the film was being somewhat promoted in movie theaters wasn't really like i don't remember very much discussion of it and then on vhs i think a lot of people discovered it which looking up on wikipedia some of the commentaries about it that seems to be a common trend or or something that's identified is that this kind of flopped uh or or at least didn't perform terribly well for disney in movie theaters i think there's a lot of uh production and marketing behind the scenes stuff that led to that um including like not getting distributed overseas (laughs) uh but then it's found an audience on VHS and then on DVD and now on streaming uh, to the point that uh, like you see more merchandise around this film now than probably when it was being released in terms of marketing. Uh, cause, cause Disney now knows thanks to the algorithm of their, their Disney plus numbers. I'm sure uh, that a lot of people are still watching this film, but still not enough merchandise for my taste. I, <laughs> I need that little keychain. I would buy that bobblehead at a Disney store. Well, uh-huh. there's no Disney stores anymore, but right. you know, at, the, at, the, as the a Fisher. source of Disney <laughs> merchandise. Yes. Yeah, the, 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 the whistling uh, fisherman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a really good niche product uh, to just like have available in limited numbers, but just it's out there if you want to go find it. Uh, I could see that becoming a, a Funko Pop, but that's only because I can see anything become a Funko Pop mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at this point. Um, so some trivia, uh, about this film, uh, it is kind of a, it's an odd duck in Disney animation history. Oh yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Would you like <laughs> me to, Andrew, to rattle some, some info off the top of my dome? <laughs> yeah. Why, why you have a podcast called Disney animation minute essentials. This is mm-hmm. definitely your wheelhouse. This is released in 1995, which is like right in the Disney Renaissance era. Yes. And, and yet it's not part of the disney renaissance <laughs> not well i mean there's all kinds of technicalities about the eras and everything but mm-hmm. yes um so and kestra and i plan on covering this at some point in in our disney renaissance discussions because we really like the movie and we can I do whatever we guess. want uh but basically the walt disney animation studio produces you know the disney animated films uh-huh. and that is where the Renaissance comes from. That's where all of the animated films come from. This was produced by the Disney Toon Studio, which is not related and is basically the, the cartoon animation like that the, was going on in the 90s. Like the TV the cartoons. TV, TV cartoons. Yes. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, they probably would have been the same groups that were doing and, and possibly some of the other direct to video. I would have to double check on that. Kester like Khan some of the direct to video sequels, of, mm-hmm. like, like, like return uh, of Aladdin. Jafar. Yeah. 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 Aladdin in particular. Lion um, King and, one and, and a half. Kestra might know 
more precise details, but but basically it's not from the movie studio. And so it's not part of the movie studio lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this would be the same as uh, there's like DuckTales Lost Treasure of the Lost Lamp. Yeah, there was a DuckTales movie, which I remember mm-hmm. seeing in the theater because I loved DuckTales. Yes. And so this would be akin to that more than it is akin to any of the other. The, the, the Lion known, King, Beauty and the Beast. Typically known Disney movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, even though this is a musical, which also puts it very much in the same vein as the Renaissance, it's just not made by the same people. I, like, I don't know how far up the chain you would have to go to get to the point where these two animation units are reporting to the same person. Well, I can tell you, Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, greenlit and championed this and was fired while the film was in production. <laughs> but he's like right up at the top. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah. And after he was fired, it, the studio seemed to like not know what to do with it. <laughs> uh, they didn't share his vision, I will say. And that's what, like I've noted, like it didn't have a an international release. Uh, domestically, it earned $37.6 million and had a budget of about $18 million. So it made a profit. Um, but when you compare $37.6 million to The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast <laughs> and Aladdin. Not, I mean, yeah, those are in like the top 10 movies for their years. Yeah, including $100 million very easily. Uh, all of those, I'm pretty sure. Um, so it was considered a bit of a flop. And I think all of the production like in-house stuff of like which studio is actually making it uh, the fact that it's coming from the, the tune side, but is a musical, which is kind of like the, the DuckTales one isn't a musical. Uh, right. I don't uh, think so. and, and I think they also, at the same time, were doing like a, uh, a gargoyles straight to, it ended up being a straight to video movie, but was considered possibly for theatrical release. Uh, but mm-hmm. that wasn't going to be a musical, you know? So it's like this weird hybrid of a lot of things. And like the executives who had greenlit it and were championing it were fired. And I think a lot of their projects uh, were looked down upon by the, uh, those that remained. <laughs> this I is guess. also a kind of chaotic tame in even in just the movie animation studio, because they had two locations. They had, they had a California office and a Florida office mm-hmm. that were making movies simultaneously that were working on projects simultaneously. And well, so I saw... the attention was spread even thinner. Yeah. Um, I saw that. Uh, so, uh, okay. So here's, I'm going to read a line from uh, Wikipedia. A Goofy movie was jointly produced by Walt Disney Feature Animation, Walt Disney Television Animation, Disney Movie Tunes, but also outsourced to Walt Disney Animation France and Walt Disney Animation Australia, along with additional animation studios from Spain and Canada <laughs> contributing to the film. That's a lot going on there. That is a lot. <laughs> and somehow, I just want to say up front, this movie is great. I love this movie. <laughs> it, it, like, it, it really comes together. Yeah. Um, it is not a subtle film. It knows what it wants to do. And it just does that thing. <laughs> right. It's got, it's got one storyline. It's got one message. It's going to hit you over the head with that message a few times. Sometimes we talk about like subtlety of storytelling and we really praise that. This is not a subtle film. There are b- big musical numbers that tell you exactly what you're supposed to be thinking. And I think that's okay for a couple reasons. One, uh, it's, it is children's animation. So we, have a set of expectations that this is going to be a little simpler uh, and and things are not going to be as opaque or require as much uh, uh, inspection to deduce the meaning of these things. This is, this would be targeted at the like after school cartoon crowd. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I think leads to that is that it is a musical in the style of like having, I want songs (laughs) where, uh, and with those styles of musicals, we expect character motivations to be stated very plainly, uh, often very lyrically, uh, to the audience in ways that are catchy and embed themselves in your head in ways that you will not forget them. Mm -hmm. And so when I say it's not subtle, that is a feature of this kind of storytelling and that's fine. Um, one other odd thing about this is it is a film sequel to goof troop. (laughs) Which yep. was the uh, I, I, I just don't go double check how long that ran for. It was a Disney afternoon TV show about Goofy as a single dad with his son, Max. No explanation of his mother. I think I think she does appear like her name's Penny. OK, and, but I think it's like a flashback to Max as an even younger kid. 
Yes. And so, so this she, she is about three years after Goof Troop. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like 65 episodes were made. Um, and then 13 additional episodes when it was proving very popular. And then a Christmas special, a Goof Troop Christmas special was also made. And, and then, then and then movie. this this universe is featured in, you know, uh, this movie, an extremely goofy movie, and some of the Mickey Mouse Christmas elements, um, like Once Upon a Christmas and Twice Upon a Christmas. Th- those will have Ducktales and Goof Troop centric segments. And um, I did see, just mentioned in trivia that the newer Ducktales series makes mention or acknowledges a goofy movie. And a few different, uh, like uh, just subtle references for fans more than like key plot points um, that happened. And yeah, as you noted, there was uh, an extremely goofy movie, a direct video sequel, which notably does not feature the love interest of this film, which seems like such an odd choice. <laughs> she is also not featured in any of those other materials that I mentioned. I know. It's so strange. Uh, created just for this movie. Uh, and, um, it's, is in some ways like the, uh, like a relationship with her is the MacGuffin driving, <laughs> driving the film, uh, for, mm-hmm. for Max and his motivations and never heard from again. And is, is she in any Disney stuff? Roxanne? Uh, no, just, just this. In it's fact, in one of the, in one of the Christmas ones, Max mm-hmm. brings apparently his college girlfriend back to meet Goofy and it's not Roxanne. Come on. <laughs> it would have hurt anyone to make that Roxanne. I know. <laughs> uh, um, one other uh, bit of uh, trivia. So you have some uh, notable voice voice work. So uh, Jim Cummings voices uh, Pete, uh, Goofy's uh, nemesis, though it's kind of an unknown nemesis, <laughs> I guess. In this I mean, film. he uh, the negative influence. Yes. Uh, Pete's relationship with any character that he's interacted with in Disney, it's so such a wild card. You don't know what he's going to be. <laughs> is he going to be an outright antagonist? Is he going to be basically the devil? Uh, is he going to be... The, the uh, ghost of Christmas yet to come? Yes. An unwitting uh, negative influence? Uh, or is he going to be kind of a sympathetic uh, someone they're trying to help out in Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse, as often happens? Um, the other voice uh, that I want to know, Polly Shore... <laughs> Shows up as Max and PJ's P, uh, PJ. Uh, PJ is Pete's son, uh, but he shows up as Max and PJ's friend at school. And it notes, uh, like when I'm looking this up, Polly Shore is uncredited in the film. But I don't think anyone didn't know that was Polly Shore. <laughs> uh, like even, even like in 1995, I I was young enough. I like I would not have been watching Polly Shore uh, Shore anything at the height of his film. But even I think I knew that's Polly Shore. I've seen his commercials. <laughs> like I've seen his films advertised enough. Why is he uncredited? How did he end up in this? I think there's like some, some mystery needs to be cracked Doing about a that. favor. I don't know. But also uh, Wallace Shawn, one of my favorite voices in all oh. of film history is principal. Mazur. Great little, great little spot. Yeah. Yeah. And just the right amount. We don't need more of him. He just needs to be delivering the angry uh, monologue <laughs> in the electric chair. Um, all right. That, that's basically a trivia I had. Anything you want to uh, add to a discussion about goof troop? Um. Oh, this, there is some, I, I don't know about hostility, but some unresolved issues about Powerline's songs in this movie. They are not available to stream on Spotify. Okay. So, so you're you not- cannot, you cannot listen to, uh, I to I or stand, stand out, even though everyone wants to listen to stand out all the time. You, so I you can't this- listen to it. You can't stream it. Because there's some unresolved rights about the performer and creation of that song. Okay, I, I want to acknowledge this because the soundtrack of this is amazing. Um, let's see who. Let's see, Tevin Campbell um, mm-hmm. is the performer for Eye to Eye and Stand Out. Yes, and I believe he has not been fully like. I don't think there's been a full agreement about compensation to him on streaming rights okay i do want to recognize the quality of those songs <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. they're great uh i watched this with my seven-year-old today in prep for this podcast and as the credits began he said let's listen <laughs> to uh i believe it was eye to eye was playing again over the credits <laughs> uh and so he wanted to just leave that on <laughs> because it is a really catchy song mm-hmm 
Um, all right. Well, before we get to the full summary and analysis of this film, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode. And we especially want to thank any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are short episodes in which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. On to the spoiler summary for a goofy movie. Max is a teenager who is embarrassed by his father, Goofy. Uh, then, <laughs> like, we get a very vivid nightmare, like body horror style mm-hmm. nightmare uh, about Max turning into his father. And we we immediately are shown this is his, his worst dream. It's actually a very quick setup because we also see that Max is in love with Roxanne. Uh, and, and yet he fears turning into his father and letting Roxanne see him as his father. Uh, and that's the nightmare that opens up the film. Then we get a song called After Today, where we learn it's the last day of school, and Max is planning some stunt to impress a girl, Roxanne. We see the usual high school stereo- stereotypes on display. During an end-of-year assembly, Max performs a lip-sync to a popular singer named Powerline's hit song, Stand Out. Um, I, and this was not an approved performance. He overtakes the, <laughs> the uh, principal's school assembly. <laughs> yes, the principal's uh, speech about how to not waste your summer <laughs> uh, with things like uh, you, you rather than hanging out with friends, you should be doing things like science sleepovers. Uh, <laughs> and Max cuts in over the principal to perform standout. His performance is a hit with the students, but the principal is not amused. And Max is in trouble at work. Goofy confesses to Pete that he feels a distance growing between him and Max. Uh, But then Goofy gets inspired to take Max on a road trip across the country to go fishing at Lake Destiny, Idaho. After school, Max is more popular than ever, and Roxanne invites him to a party to watch the Powerline concert on TV next week. Max eagerly agrees, but when he gets home, Goofy has packed the car, and Max is sulkily forced into a family vacation. But on the way out of town, he does make Goofy stop at Roxanne's house so he can tell Roxanne He can't go to the party with her, but he's embarrassed about this and he doesn't want it to look like he's just ditching her. So he tells her that his dad is taking him to the Powerline concert because his dad used to be in a band with Powerline. This is a very believable lie. A very plausible deception. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We get the song On the Open Road, contrasting Goofy's excitement with Max's disappointment in neat counterpoint. Then, uh, and I just want to say on this whole road trip, there's a group of nuns in the background all the time. I love it. This is background. Oh, they thing. end up at the concert at the end. Yes, they are the following them the whole way. <laughs> yes. I in don't fact, know if they're stalking them or they're just on the same route. I oh, I have just come up with a theory. Oh. Because go ahead. This is a very simple plot. No one's gonna get lost if we leave it for a moment. So I, the first time we see nuns is in the store where Goofy is working, and he announces that he's going to Lake Destiny, Idaho. I think they start following him there. And then don't realize that they're not making it to the fishing trip and they end up at the concert. <laughs> they, they take the detour that Max. Uh, yeah, they just happen on. to be following them precisely. Yeah. Do, you, do they follow them through the river and waterfall? <laughs> uh, all right. That one's unclear. OK, they may have right, picked well, up the trail at some point. OK, so um, they're on this road trip. Uh, Goofy takes Max to a terrifying roadside roadside attraction called Lester's Possum Park. Uh, Goofy clearly has nostalgic fondness for this place, but Max hates it. The next day, they're camping by a lake when they have a Bigfoot encounter. This is a highlight (laughs) of the film. This animation design for Bigfoot is just perfection. Uh, They are forced to sleep in the car, not in their tent. Bigfoot has the car keys, so they can't actually drive away. Um, While Goofy and Bigfoot snore, keeping Max awake, Max changes the map for the trip to direct them to LA. And this is like Goofy's father's map that charts I, I think the it's granddad's map. It, it yeah. goes to, it goes back a ways. And it charts the family road trip course. Um, but the next day, Goofy realizing that things have not been going great, but also when they're in the car, they do have like a bonding moment uh, over, over soup, over high dad soup. Uh, where like the only food they can get is alphabet soup. And they talk about that when Max was a kid, he would spell simple words like hi dad in the soup and Max uh, as he's still kind of being a grumpy teenager. Uh, But he, he has his dad, the cup of soup after he finishes it. And the the word hi dad is in the bottom of the cup. Uh, So goofy announces that Max will now be the navigator for the trip and pick where they stop. And we get a montage where we see Max initially picking places that interest him, but noticing that 
this isn't great for his dad and he is being selfish so he chooses places as his dad would like to uh goofy and max run into pete and pj and pete overhears max confessing to pj that uh max changed the map to take them to la uh pete now goes and tells goofy goofy at first refuses to believe it but then he checks the map and sees that max did change it but then he still leaves it to the moment where there is a junction for for la or lake destiny idaho <laughs> and, and yep. in the road the classic junction we've all come to it to uh, to california or idaho <laughs> yep uh and so when it's time to choose max chooses california and this angers goofy and uh Goofy is now going to like stew <laughs> angrily in the driver's seat. And Max knows he's made a mistake. Uh, then there's going to be some physics defying hijinks as uh, they get into an argument. The car is going to end up in a river and they're going to be floating down the river and they're going to have a heart to heart. And it's a harmonious heart to heart love song called nobody else but you. And this really does feel a bit like a, a Broadway musical love song. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but just they're actually opening up and having full discussions about their feelings <laughs> and they bond uh, and but then they're going to be going over a waterfall this is terrifying they managed to survive thanks to the special cast that Goofy tried to teach Max and Max actually did learn uh, about how to, how to go fishing and then Goofy says you know what we're going to sneak you into the concert uh, this, this is where we're at this is what we're going to do and they do uh, sneak into the concert they get onto the stage with Powerline the um the song eye to eye about compromise and seeing each other for who you really are is is sung in in no way just telling the audience exactly what they're supposed to be feeling about goofy and max uh and they are seen on tv by their friends back at the party um but then uh we get max and goofy returning home and goofy drops max off so that max will tell roxanne the truth that i was actually not supposed to end up at the concert. I could have carried on with this lie with you, but it is not the truth. And I now need to tell you the truth so that Max and Roxanne will now have the full fledged relationship that will carry on for the rest of their lives and not be forgotten in goof, an extremely goofy movie or the uh, goof troop Christmas specials later on the end. Andrew, why does this film still work so well? That's kind of that's a, a big opener question. <laughs> yeah. I think like this was a a film based on a semi-popular Disney afternoon cartoon series based on a side character from old Disney cartoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. And, the... and like you, like okay. So there, one reason, one other thing that helped us inspired uh, inspire us to watch it is uh, someone had posted a YouTube video to my social media uh, that I saw about someone like reappraising uh, a movie mm-hmm. movie, and they opened their video by saying, "I am recording this video wearing a Powerline T-shirt that I bought at tar- Target this week <laughs> in like yeah. 2022. I could buy Powerline merchandise. This movie oh, yeah. was all but a direct video release from almost 30 years ago." And yet it still has cultural cachet. It still matters to people and it still really works. Do you have any idea why? I will tell you something about the, like the shirts and merchandise. One of Kestra's biggest disappointments is that there was a store that was selling high dad t-shirts around (laughs) father's day. And they Uh did not have my size. The high dad soup. Yes. It's just the high dad soup on a, on a, on a t-shirt, but it was going to be for father's day. And they didn't have my size. And she was so upset and so sad (laughs) that she couldn't get, you know, this this obscure piece of merchandise. Yeah, I mean, that's that is uh, a a pretty specific call out Mm -hmm. (laughs) for for a T-shirt to be making. Um, And I think. I think this is genuinely one of the best father son movies and it's and it's so specifically about you know a father son relationship mm-hmm. and it's so effectively doing that in the adolescent transition times and it like it gets to the point very very clearly and i think i mean as much as it's it like it's simple and straightforward and everything i think it gets to a very sophisticated point of um, you know, like wanting to remain connected, even though the nature of that connection is changing, right? Yeah. The, like you want to maintain a relationship 
well, the relationship needs to change. And so mm-hmm. the understanding of what that looks like for one person is, well, I want to maintain the relationship. So I want things not to change. And the other person is like, I'm changing. Everything has to change, which it does. Like for Max, he's growing up. Therefore, everything about his life is changing. His relationship with his dad is going to change. His relationship with his friends is going to change. All of those kinds of things. And Goofy says, I'm, I'm afraid of change because I feel like change might mean loss. Right. Instead of transition. And so yeah. they're, they're, you know, in this conflict. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things from, from the video that you talked about. Um, it emphasizes the idea, like the notion of Goofy as antagonist. Um, or, well, he, he calls him the villain, which I feel... Right. Is is not appropriate, but but calling I, him the antagonist is is like he is Max's antagonist, mm-hmm. and and Max is Goofy's antagonist, right? They are yes. in conflict with each other. Yeah, if you're gonna call them co leads, the conflict is actually born of them both having different goals, and those goals can't both be achieved. Uh, you know, yes. any yeah, any, any move towards one achieving their goal is going to be a setback for the other. Yes, and until you get, you know, the until they see eye to eye. Well, no, until they have a fight <laughs> and then they come out of the other side of the fight mm-hmm. with n- not exactly compromise because, you know, they kind of do both get what they want. Like they're they are happier after the fight and having gotten all of the emotions out than they are throughout the entire rest of the movie. Yeah. Right. Like silently trying to go along with things or attempting to to handle things and just not working out, not working out, not working out like it ultimately requires like a high intensity conflict. And usually in movies, that high intensity conflict is going to be a fight and it's going to lead to defeat, but neither of them feels defeated at the end of their argument. Mm -hmm. Right. They actually come to an understanding. It's not that one of them was, was totally right. And the other one was totally wrong is they, they come to a resolution about, Oh, okay. What does, what does what I want actually look like based on what the other person wants? Mm-hmm. So they, they, you know, they change a little bit of what they want and that's how they get to a resolution, right? Like no, nobody lost the fight. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's one of those situations where like <laughs> the, the resolution of the fight is having a conversation <laughs> about yes. what you're really feeling, uh, and sharing what, what you would like to see happen. <laughs> that's, that's the resolution well, to the fight. And I, and, and then saying, we can work together and kind of get both of these. Neither is going to be exactly what we thought we wanted, but we can get mm-hmm. both of these things to happen. Yeah. And, um, and like both of them want something from the other one, but they think that they just want to exert force to get that instead of, mm-hmm. you know, getting cooperation, right? Like Max wants freedom and goofy wants connection. And both of those require the other person to give that to them. Instead yeah. of like Max cannot pull, pull away so hard that he gets freedom. He needs to mm-hmm. be given freedom. And so he has right. to express it. And, and Goofy cannot try to connect so hard that connection actually happens. Because that'll he push Max to, away. Yeah. And so it like it ultimately does need that conversation. And and yet their conflict is such that they're like not willing to have it as a conversation until it's at an explosive point. Mm hmm. And and then they can come down from that and actually start to resolve something, which is which is a very real like. This is a thing that happens to people is like you have to be pushing against each other so much that it 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 reaches a peak and then it'll come down and then you can actually reach some sort of resolution. Yeah. So, I mean, longtime listeners to this podcast will know I now have a teenage daughter. <laughs> when I started the podcast, not close to being a teenager. It is a different relationship. That exists now. And uh, my wife, Emily, was uh, reading a book about having adolescence and some of the things. And there was a metaphor that was used that I found really helpful to kind of think about it. And uh, the metaphor was that um, for adolescents, they're going, they're they're pushing away from your parents and they're swimming out into the deep end of the pool, basically. And it's a a different pool than like, whereas before parents kind of always had control of everything. Now they're going to have a different social structure. They're going to be like, just everything is going to be different. And periodically the kids are going to come back and grab at the edge of the pool and, and like come back to the parents and parents often want that to be exact. Okay. Now my child is back and we're going to go back to the way things were. (laughs) And then the child is going to push off from the edge of the pool again and go back out to the deep end. Uh, You know, the child is coming for that rest and connection and, um, 
a kind of a recharge and parents often try to grab a hold and make it exactly what it was before. And this book is saying as parents, you need to let your child go swim. <laughs> um, and I think some of what we're seeing in this film is goofy trying to grab a hold of Max and keep him exactly in the kiddie pool, basically, you know, where he's always been. And Max is mm-hmm. trying to go swimming in, in the deep end and they need to find that balancing point between those. I think another element of this, that's like part of why it, it endures so well is that unlike most of the parent child centric films in this one is like, no, they're both totally right. And the resolution <laughs> is, is like pretty even in a lot of the parent child films you're going to see. It's like, yeah, that parent was totally out of line. That parent did not get it. Yeah. And they need, or the to, kid is to just rebel go. and is in trouble and the parent has to save the day. Yeah. But I feel like, um, I'm trying to think of, you know, like clear examples, but like, like father of the bride, right? That dad is clingy and attached and he is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and like the whole and movie the resolution is, kind of is about him realizing he was is wrong. him is him realizing he was wrong. And in this one's like, Goofy doesn't need to realize that he was wrong. Like he wants something that's appropriate and, and Max is able to provide that. It's about calibrating though. Yes. <laughs> like what, yeah. what do you want? Not, not that his goal is incorrect. It's just calibrating <laughs> and, the level. and, and, and how to get it. But <laughs> yeah. I think that most of the like parent child dynamic films are going to involve when I picture them, usually the parent realizing that they were being wrong. They were being obstinate. Yeah. They are being Unless old it's an after school special. In which mm-hmm. case the child is in the wrong for rebelling against the parent and the right. lesson needs to be learned about the child going too far and, you know, smoking drugs, whatever it may be. <laughs> but in this, it's like, oh, no, like it's it, it is like quite even between the two of them. Yeah. Like even I remember I saw uh, the Crudes, that caveman uh, family film uh, with uh, I mean, I, I, was it a decade ago? I don't remember. It was a while ago. It's always longer than I want to admit it was. Mm-hmm. Uh and I thought the film overall did a good job, but at the end, the the like final takeaway is the dad was in the wrong for trying to keep things the way they had always been. And I was waiting for that moment where like, no, the dad like knows something because of how things have been, uh, and he his knowledge is like key to to uh, to some crisis that happens. But in the end, the, the final message really was no, the dad's just wrong <laughs> because mm-hmm. he's 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 too old fashioned uh, or whatever it may be. And I, and this one has some of that balance I wanted to see from something like the Croods. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason I think this film is still successful is the songs all work really well. Uh, both the, the like Broadway musical style ones and also the, the kind of pop style ones. They'll work mm-hmm. for exactly what they're trying to be. Uh, I am not saying that like the, the power line ones should be on the radio as big hits or anything like that. But for the world of this film and the sound that it's evoking and the messages that I have, do every check every box that is supposed to be checking in that moment and they're catchy and they're earworms and they stay with you. Uh, and so across the board, I want to praise all the sound uh, or all, all the songs, including Lester's possum park, which is <laughs> like, uh, I think like Chuck E. Cheese gone terribly wrong. Uh, yes. like, like if you, have you ever seen uh, like a photo of like an abandoned Chuck E. Cheese, uh, robot thing? Like <laughs> some finds it's like half, half destroyed and still somewhat existing and identifiable as Chuck E. Cheese. That's what Lester's possum, possum park is like. Yeah. <laughs> Again, like that definitely has no place outside of this film, but, uh, in that film, in that moment, there's no other song that should be played than Lester's po- possum park. Yeah. And like you said, it's, the movie's straightforward because the songs can communicate things so well, and they do are very effective, like more effectively than many musicals. Um, these songs, you know, do their job of setting up what's going on in, in many cases with multiple characters simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like really the, um, the open road, like I, I was really paying attention. I'm like, they're doing some really cool stuff uh, with the way they, they counter each other. Uh, but you're, you're clearly ident- uh, understanding both uh, characters that are singing, you know, what their points of view are, uh, mm-hmm. why they're in conflict right now. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the after today song with the high school, you get kind of like the high school musical, like run, we're going to run through all the clicks of high school. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all these different characters are going to get their little side note and uh, it's identifiable because of familiarity and of both like our real high school lived experiences, but also how high school is always portrayed on <laughs> TV and media. Um, yeah. 
uh, you know, it, it's like some of that is like it becomes like this is really how high school is. There's this is what we've been told high school is for so long uh, that that we expect it. Uh, we accept it. Um, but, you know, in after today, we get like the world, the stakes and uh, Max's goals are all like told to us pretty clearly um, in, in in that. So uh, well done on the music front in this film. Um, the other thing that I also want to say for why this film still works and has developed the the kind of longevity that leads to merchandise still being produced about it almost 30 years later. It's really funny. <laughs> like the jokes actually land really well. Mm hmm. Um, they, like the timing's really good. There's like talking each over other over over each other jokes that mm-hmm. work really well. There's jokes. Um, there's a joke about like the character design of Goofy. <laughs> Like when he he pops his teeth into this can of soup and, and it's like a can opener piercing both sides of the lid so he can pour mm-hmm. something out. And it's yes. like, th- that's a weird joke about the character design of Goofy. And it is so funny <laughs> when it hits. <laughs> There's um, non sequitur jokes like Goofy wakes up from his sleep and he looks at oh, Max mm-hmm. and Max is in panic. And then Goofy asks, how many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? Uh, and yeah. And, and Max just kind of looks at him for a second and says three and a half and then Goofy falls back asleep hard. Um, there's the visual comedy of something like Bigfoot's character design, which I already referenced, uh, which is so good. I mean, it is there are, are really good laugh out loud jokes, jokes mm-hmm. throughout this whole film. And it doesn't feel dated um, in that in that in that video, um, uh, that little video I say about uh, kind of reassessing a Goofy, uh, goofy movie. It, it had a section where he talked about like how dated some of this stuff is. I'm like, I don't know that it's actually dated. Like, like even when this was made, like those were supposed to be like references to things that are sort of timeless even called like an eight track a cassette player (laughs) in the video yes that wasn't a cassette player that was an eight track that was a a joke about this being old when the movie was being made Mm -hmm. yeah um there's also i mean there's a very effective montage which Mm -hmm. is filled with visual gags yes um and then there's also like uh, moments of of like drama and intensity like like red lit and and moody music drama mm-hmm. you know mostly involving the map <laughs> yes the map uh it, it's interesting like how effective like the map becomes as an object with meaning right with, mm-hmm. with emotional and uh plot significance yeah because there's the tense sequence where max sees the map and then he decides to change the map and then there's the moment where Goofy is going to check it and then he decides not to. And then the map springs out at him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then also and like Goofy knights Max with it almost like he gets mm-hmm. up like King Arthur and is like, you're the navigator now. Yes. And um, and then you get that. I mean, the transition from Goofy seeing the map to his depression at feeling lied to and betrayed and then and then going to the 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 fork in the road Mm -hmm. it's it's a real bummer yes now i do want to say max's plan was incredibly stupid (laughs) but the film acknowledges that that his dad would realize (laughs) yes that oh this map is landing in los angeles with a circle around it not in lake destiny idaho (laughs) but it does kind of acknowledge with like pete uh, or PJ makes fun of Max. Like you changed the map. You thought that would work. Max is like, I was desperate. Like it's acknowledging this is not a good, well thought out plan. And then the other thing that I, I, I guess we've kind of acknowledged this a bit. I think this film really works because like the emotional payoff works. <laughs> like it, it feels good when Max and Goofy uh, are getting along and they work together <laughs> and they get out of the stage. Like all of the plot builds to this moment that actually it works like we feel the payoff when they're floating on the river. We feel the payoff when they're on on stage. And then it does the extra work of ensuring that Max tells the truth at the end. <laughs> you know, the that that last scene um, where where Max not only do we see Max going and tell the truth to Roxanne, which shows his growth and maturity, but he also introduces her to his father, which when we bookend that with the nightmare scene, uh, at the opening of the film of Max just being terrified of Roxanne seeing him like his father at all. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. that also shows nice growth and maturity uh, that has been achieved through this road trip. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk a little bit. Let, let's talk about Pete 
and his role as kind of the devil on the shoulder for Goofy throughout this. Now, do you want to talk some about the his, the, the history of Pete, just for any listeners who who don't know how far back Pete goes as a I mean, as a, Pete a is, character? Is the antagonist of early Mickey Mouse shorts? Typically. Right, the very first Mickey Mouse short has Pete. Yeah, you know he he kidnaps Minnie Mouse. He is the uh, the equivalent of um, Bluto in Popeye. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's so very much like a mustache twirling level uh, caricature of villainy. <laughs> like, yes. there's no subtlety at all to Pete initially. Yeah. Um, and so. So his his presence is typically sinister to some degree, uh, mm-hmm. the degree to which he is, you know, outright villainous is going to vary, like you said, um, in this, he it just represents you know, a, a controlling parent style. Yes. So we, we have uh goofy and max and then uh, Pete and PJ. Um, I, th- I'm pretty sure in goof troop, there's never a mention of PJ's mom either. Right. <laughs> like yeah, we said, sure like there's an acknowledgement of, of Max's mom living, but so we got two single dads with uh teenage sons that are friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so you get diff- different parenting styles, right? You know, there's, there's like psychological, studies about parenting styles and, and different approaches and everything. And, and Pete represents the authoritarian style, right? The controlling dominating, you know, and also uh, do it the way mean, I say, like, like he's going to put down PJ. <laughs> and, and Oh, and, and, and you get PJ who is clearly not in, in an optimal space as, um, as his adolescent development goes, mm-hmm. right? He is scared of his dad. He is intimidated by his dad. He is doing the cleaning up of the RV. Right. He is. But he, but he, while his dad says like this, I think this has stuck out to me since I was a kid. There's this line where uh, when this fancy RV shows up and it's it's uh, Pete and PJ and they meet Goofy and Max. Max says, hey, is Pete around? Because he wants to go hang out with his friend. And Pete says, oh, he's living around somewhere. And then we cut to Pete waxing the floor <laughs> of yeah. the RV and dusting simultaneously. Yes, he is listening to Powerline music because we need the through line of, of Powerline. But, but he's not loafing. Yeah, he's not loafing around. He is like doing two two chores simultaneously. <laughs> uh, um, and somehow that that contrast, I still remember from the first time I watched this in 95. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 Goofy represents uh, obviously less of a controlling parenting style. Um, and, you know, it, like a, 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 still an intentional parenting style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so with the I I. I I'm familiar with like some of the main parenting style concepts um, from, from research I've done for my, my day job. Um, but so they like did some research and, and they said, okay, you can be high or low in, in two main factors. And that means you've got a, a four section grid, right? Mm-hmm. If, it, and so the styles they talked about, it's like, okay, you can be high or low in what they called responsiveness or demandingness, right? Responsiveness being like emotional, awareness and understanding responding to emotional needs and demanding is pushing them forward. Like, Hey, you need to get your chores done kind of stuff. Right. And so with that four quadrant grid that it creates, if you are high in the demanding and low in the response, then you're authoritarian, right? You're controlling. Uh, and if you are high in the response and low in the demand, you're permissive, right? It's, um, you know, you allow things to happen because you don't want to damage the connection. Um, and then the, the most effective quadrant is high in both that's, and, and the parenting styles discussion was not made for useful conversation because that is described as authoritative <laughs> as opposed to authoritarian. It's like, guys, mm. <laughs> use some different words. <laughs> yes. Um, and then if you're low in both, um, some of the original research basically said, well, there's four, there's four quadrants and there's three parenting styles, because if you're low in both, it's kind of, you're not, not a parent. It, it's kind <laughs> of not. You're not parenting. <laughs> yeah. And there's, a, you know, you'll, you see different like descriptions of it. It's like, well, okay. So there's like a mechanism somewhere within that area of the grid for kind of a, like a more hands-off approach. It's like, I want to let the kid do their thing. Um, but d- at a certain point <laughs> it becomes mm-hmm. neglectful. Right. Um, because you are uh, not watching out for them for safety or for emotions. Right. Yeah. And so I, we, I guess, yeah. Neglect is probably the right, <laughs> right name for that quadrant. <laughs> At, at, yeah, at a certain at a certain degree. And so yeah. so Pete's clearly showing that um, authoritarian approach, right? Controlling. He is not emotionally invested in in PJ. 
He is not concerned about PJ. He is demanding. Right. And control. You know, <laughs> yes. like he, he doesn't even con- he doesn't seem concerned about PJ's life of crime in the way that Goofy is. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the principal calls. Uh, so like PJ or Pete puts some a bunch of scare words in uh, Goofy's head about like, you know, if you're not careful, he's going to join a gang and, you know, become violent. You know, all these things and the principal calls and rants about uh, about Max uh, dressed like a gang member and almost starting a riot at the school. It's, it's all the buzzwords in Goofy's head. Yes. <laughs> but um, this is what makes Goofy make a more extreme of like without even consulting Max. Like, you know, this is where the extreme choice comes of like, OK, I'm not going to talk to Max. We're just going on this uh, week plus long road trip. Um. Yeah, and and so, so when, all right, when, when quantities, Goofy and sorry. Max have and when Goofy and Max have more conversation, um, you know, it, uh, or uh, when when uh, Goofy and Pete have those conversations, Pete emphasizes an authoritarian approach. He's like, get, put them under your thumb. You know, mm-hmm. literally, the authoritarian dictate. Yeah. Yes. Um. You know, to, that's, to that's something control. he says like a few times, like put them under your thumb, Goof. And um, I, like, I'm not really committing, but I'm like halfway heading towards like voice imitations of some of these characters as I <laughs> as I recite some of these. But I, I want to say uh, um, the actor who who does the voice of Goofy. What's his name? Farm Farmer. Uh, oh, um, uh, is, it, is it Bill uh, Farmer? Bill Farmer. Yeah, Bill Farmer. He was instructed to at first record without doing a Goofy voice, but just make it a, uh, a normal voice, basically. Um and he's like, this is wrong. This is wrong. And finally, someone's like, this is awful. And they made him go re-record it all as his traditional goofy voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something about like wanting it to be more mainstream. They said, don't do the goofy voice. I'm like, it's goofy. You're not <laughs> making this not goofy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just try and imagine that for a minute. That film uh, out goofies. I don't like yep. it at all. <laughs> um, oh, and they get his classic um, yodeling scream. <laughs> Once at the end for the car explodes. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, so ultimately Goofy ends up, you know, in um, in more of the the authoritative, right? That optimal zone when he pushes still a little involved. bit. Right. Right. Yeah. He, he still wants he, like, I want to be a part of it. I'm engaged. And, and I need you to also be happy with the degree yes. to which I am. I am part. I'm of engaged it. and I'm guiding, but I'm also listening to your needs. Yes. There's a lot more listening in that in that quadrant and that's kind of the the big thing that's when he you know like when they finally come to terms with something is a conversation that you know we just cut to the end of where Mm -hmm. max has actually opened up and communicated everything and now goofy can support him in getting what he wants max isn't on his own right having independence doesn't mean that he has to be completely separate right you can still converse with someone you can still get help and support while being free and autonomous yeah i like that a lot um and it's um again it's 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 finding that that balance and i think as viewers you you mentioned like we jumped to the end we don't it's fine we don't need to see that that conversation because we know what max's issues are we've been told so clearly and plainly exactly where the uh friction points between father and son are that we can jump to the end and fill in the blanks just fine <laughs> um, because it really would be repetitive for a viewer to see the conversation take place. And again, that's because of the clarity of the storytelling, which is even more interior than a lot of storytelling because of the Broadway musical style um, that mm-hmm. you know, they borrow where we're, we're we've been explicitly shown their inner thoughts um, as viewers. I, th- I think sometimes that kind of like we're going to jump ahead to the resolution is a cop out for the writers not wanting to do the work <laughs> in this case. I'm completely fine with it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about Max and Roxanne? I've expressed a little frustration that somehow she just disappears. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have similar frustration. Um, I, I mean, this, I mean, uh, this if, hasn't if there was been, no uh, sequel made... to this movie, I wouldn't be frustrated if they never advanced. But, but like, there's Max, but like we have age. Max as an adult. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and later films or, or um, later, later stories. Yeah. It yeah. It seems odd. Um, I, well, I don't think you, you hit heavily on this in, in your summary summary. Um, but I think they do a good depiction of, you know, adolescent romance. Mm-hmm. Um, and also showing that she likes him 
without him being, you know, rebellious and everything. She she just likes him. Yeah. And so he doesn't actually have to work quite so hard. He's not having to change himself to be to make her interested. Mm-hmm. But he's in his own head about it so that he can't see that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that is something that we sometimes get uh, with media is like the, the idea of like impressing the girl becomes so such such a plot point. And that is almost done away with here at the beginning where like he, he went out of his way to impress the girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but that's not, you know, it, it, yes, he's going to tell a lie and try and get on stage, but it's it's no longer about impressing the girl. Like the connection has already been made at that point. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we as viewers know if he'd just been honest, we wouldn't be in this mess. <laughs> yes, I mean, and some of it's to try and comfort her because she does feel rejected. Yeah, when he has to cancel the date. Um, but that's still not a good reason <laughs> to, <laughs> yes. to do all the lying. You're definitely making it worse, Max. Just yes. stop. <laughs> um, so it is. It's it's nice that it all works out. Um, for for this movie mm-hmm. um but i do want i do wish there was like another story with them yeah because in, in this film like she is an idea <laughs> really mm-hmm. um like we're, we're just not shown much of her she's there at the very beginning of the film and the very end and that's the nature of this road trip like the, the bulk of the film is a road trip of about father and son mm-hmm. um i will so- also say um for like the side characters, the ancillary characters that we don't see a ton of, like all the school characters are in the first 15 minutes of the movie and in none of the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, like we get a shot at the, of them having their house party at the end where yeah. they're watching the power line. And, and they did so many good designs on those high school characters <laughs> and, yes. and other background characters throughout this movie. I was like, I know exactly who this guy is. Well, I, and I want to shout out the student body president. I don't know what her mm-hmm. name is, but she right. is the simultaneous like uh, like you immediately know she is a um, hyper focused on personal success, yet popular within the school mm-hmm. uh, and, and can spare some time to help Roxanne. Yeah. And she's right in the line between like nerdy and hipster. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. And uh, I think I knew some of those people. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's got um, her. She's got the braces. She has a very distinct uh, clothing style. She has yes. a very distinct speech pattern that is both like in control uh, and and um, uh, but also distinctly herself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I that is a side character that I'm like I think she could carry a movie. Oh, and like <laughs> the student body is cheering for her during her speech, and then crickets when the principal comes on. So she <laughs> yeah. is clearly like. This isn't just like, well, we've got to have a student body president, I guess. It's like, no, actually, like, I like I chose this person. Yeah. You have the the Star Trek geek uh, who's wearing a Star mm-hmm. Trek uniform on the last day of school yelling, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got a couple of cool people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like like vests um, <laughs> yes. and, and fingerless gloves. There's there's somebody who is wearing fingerless gloves over his white Mickey Mouse gloves fantastic choice by the the character designers there um and oh i mean bobby that's the poly short character right yes yep (laughs) just he's the av guy like he gets their their tech set up he gets paid in cheese whiz because it's poly shore you can assume the cheese whiz is standing in for something else (laughs) (laughs) well they hand him they hand him a brown paper sack full of something (laughs) full of cheese whiz (laughs) yeah like okay here's your here's your fee um at the moment where bobby and the student body president who's again name i have not been able to find even a quick look i think it's stacy let's see uh, i think it's stacy stacy roxanne's best friend and student class president yes stacy okay when bobby and stacy have the moment of eye contact it is just <laughs> something i did not know i needed but a perfect moment for both those characters mm-hmm. uh at, at the house party at the end everyone's excited that max is on screen at the power line concert he drops mm-hmm. his cheese whiz she bends down to help him pick it up their hands touch and they look each other in the eyes and bobby lifts his sunglasses for the first time again she, he's probably sure you can guess why he's been wearing mirrored sunglasses <laughs> this entire she time. <laughs> does not appear in the other materials either yeah even though um, though max and bobby and pj go off to college together uh, and participate you know in the X Games. <laughs> I just Stacey realized. and Roxanne do not make an appearance. Oh, very, uh, what a missed opportunity! I think I said the name Stacy when I quoted the Star Trek geek. 
Twigs, talk yes, to me, talk to me, talk to me, six. Because I was in your brain. In my head, that's all just one long sound mm. that is somehow embedded from repeated viewings of this from my childhood. Um, <laughs> just yeah, like I can picture so many of those high school characters so easily mm-hmm. in my mind, um, and they, like they have voices performing them, and they just line up, you know, just right. Um, man like the high school sequence in 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 after today is good stuff just yeah. setting up that that entire school environment and the last day of school feeling mm-hmm. yeah and i will uh i'm gonna post the link in the show notes to that youtube video it's about mm-hmm. 20 Absolutely. minutes long i i listened to it today um in prep for this where they they go a little bit more into like uh, musical theory, like, like meaning like Broadway musical, like what each kind of song is, like the I Want songs, the world setting songs. Um, I don't agree with every takeaway that they had, but it definitely like made me reassess some of the the, the songs themselves uh, in the storytelling. Um, and the conclusion that this is a really well told story, even if it is a more simple story, like there's an mm-hmm. A plot <laughs> and there are, uh, you know, two main characters that are, um, at odds with what they want. Like one can't achieve what they want with the other. Uh, you know, that, that is pretty simple, uh, for it. Um, and yet it just, it just works. And the resolution feels good. Like there's good emotional payoff for every relationship that we're shown, um, Mm -hmm. in this. And it's, uh, it's a simple story, but it's a well-told one. And it, it's laugh out loud. It's great to watch with kids. I will tell you that (laughs) right now. Uh, and, and so, uh, so much about this works and it like when you go through that production history of like what a mess it was to even get this made and the fact that it is like the the a film sequel to a disney afternoon cartoon show that was reimagining some old disney ip it's like very very strange that this is as good as it is mm-hmm. we can point to plenty of other uh disney animated products from the mid 90s where it's like head scratching that that exists this is just head scratching that it's as good as it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i agree um i there's just something to it where it comes together it hits it hits a, a like a perfect tone mm-hmm. and i love that it's kind of like disney has discovered like oh there's a larger fan base for this than i thought oh there's one other bit of trivia uh they did a 20th anniversary at uh you know disney does their disney expo which is like comic-con mm-hmm. but just for disney yeah. um they did a 20th anniversary panel and they did not have like with the, the 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 voice cast was there and everything uh and they it said they didn't have expectations that this would be a very popular one and they ended up like completely filling the room and turning people away and they said it was the most well-attended panel of the disney expo <laughs> <laughs> like they just were not prepared for interest in a goofy movie 20th anniversary retrospective let's say what does it say okay i'm gonna quote from wikipedia just to get this fight uh get this correct 2015 20th anniversary reunion for the film was held at the d23 expo at anaheim those in attendance include bill farmer jason mars uh marsden jim cummings rob polson jenna van noy and don Hahn, who was a producer um wallace sean Polly shore and kevin lima sent in video messages and then it says the oh, panel was everybody not expect- it's, yeah. it's like literally <laughs> The panel was not expected to be one of the largest panels at D23. It ended up with the largest attended with around 1,000 fans attending and the expo turning away uh, fans due to lack of seating. Wow. I mean, you just don't get you don't get that kind of sudden popularity, that significant popularity. Like one in 100 films doesn't doesn't get that kind of connection. Yeah. Oh, I mean, think about like just go ahead and list every film that was released in 1995. How many could go film, uh, uh, fill an auditorium <laughs> with, yeah. with fans that want to, to hear people reminisce about making it? Are there others? Yes, absolutely. There are others. I don't think anyone would expect it in 1995 that a goofy movie was going to be one of those films that 20 years later people would be mm-hmm. talking about and filling auditoriums to talk about. Yeah. All right. And Andrew, do you have any final thoughts about uh, a goofy movie? I, I have said my piece. <laughs> all right well i have as well uh, listeners if you haven't revisited this it's worth a uh, go revisit or if you're not familiar um you could go try it <laughs> go go try it out um that's gonna wrap up this episode thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all of the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank scott talk to you who composed our theme music 
Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Uh, all right. Goofy movie. Mm-hmm.